Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Emmanuel Faith, it is good to have you with us today. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you also. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new, it's just a joy to have you with us. We are entering into a season in the church calendar that's called Lent. And Lent is a six-week season that leads up to Easter. And it's often used in the church calendar as a a way to examine ourselves, to bring our whole self before God, and to to ask Him if there's anything in our life that we're holding on to that He wants to purge away. In in so many ways, uh, Lent is an intentional stepping into the darkness before we experience the light of the resurrection. And so... Over these next few weeks together, we're going to enter into this Lenten season by studying, are you ready for this? Leviticus. So I know, I know that so many of you were like, when is Paulson going to do a series on Leviticus? And, and you've been praying that we would enter into the book of Leviticus and, and your prayers have been answered. Here we are. Um, But I have to tell you, we're not going to study the whole book of Leviticus. Uh, We're going to study the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And in those seven chapters, they present to us five different offerings that the Israelite people, sacrifices the Israelite people were called to bring to God. And we're going to explore those and sort of ask the question, God, what would it look like for us to enter into that same type of a pathway with you today? Now, I'm going to make what I hope is an obvious statement. Life is different today than it was 3,500 years ago. Amen? I've read through the book of Leviticus as part of my read through the Bible in a year. I got done with it a a few weeks ago. Anybody doing that same plan? Okay, and I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I just had to put my Bible down and put my hands in the air and praise God that I am a new covenant follower of Jesus rather than an old covenant Israelite. Amen? There's so much blood. There's so much blood. And not only that, but... The other thing I had to praise Jesus for was the fact that I am a pastor and not a priest. Oh my goodness. Here's the deal. In the book of Leviticus, if you had a sore on your body that had white hair growing out of it, you would have come to me to ask what you should do about it. And I would look at said hair and if it was white enough, I'd be like, you need to go outside the camp. Like we can't have that around this, right? I just want to be clear. If you have a sore with the white hair growing out of it, you should go see a dermatologist. Don't come talk to me. I'm happy to pray for you, but I'm not going to lay hands on that bad boy. All right? Like, not only that, but I mean, just so much blood. If you had a baby, you would come to me with a lamb or a pigeon and we would kill it as a way to say, thank you, to Jesus. I'm reading through this book and I'm going, man, if PETA ever got a hold of the book of Leviticus, there'd be issues. Like Sarah McLaughlin would be writing commercial songs about this book and we'd all be weeping, right? I mean, it's, there's some parts that are a bit, a bit dark. Let me say it again. Things were different. And yet, and yet there are so many things that we can learn 
about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and, and what it means to walk this pathway of discipleship. And so over these next five weeks together, here's gonna be one of the main themes that we see in our times, that the five sacrifices in Leviticus paint pictures that create a pathway. They paint pictures that create a pathway. And we're gonna read about the practices of ancient Israel, but in doing so, we're gonna get the chance to examine our own lives and get a picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus today. But in order to jump into this book of Leviticus, we have to sort of locate ourselves in the story of God, the story that is being told. So in the book of Exodus, which precedes Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Right? The nation of Israel is called out of slavery in Egypt. And the book of Exodus is really about Israel being formed as a nation of free people. They're given instructions and commandments about what it looks like to, to live as the people of God, the Ten Commandments. They're given instructions about how to operate and how to move around as 12 different tribes unified as one whole. And they're also called to build a tabernacle. And if you've read through Exodus recently, you know that the instructions on the building of the tabernacle are meticulous. They are very detailed. And the reason that they were called to build a tabernacle is really, really clear. Exodus chapter 25, verse eight says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may, say it with me, church, dwell in their midst. So why does God have them make a tabernacle? Because he wants to dwell among them. He's a a God who wants to be with his people and he wants his people to be with him. How good is that? That's the heart of our God. I wanna be with my people. I love that about God. And at the end of the book of Exodus, after the tabernacle is constructed, listen to what happens. It says, then a cloud came and covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Can you imagine what that scene might have been like? Oh my goodness. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God says, build a tabernacle so that I can dwell among you. They build it, his glory comes, his present comes and nobody can go in. So we we have this, this awe moment, the glory of God descending. And then we have the people of God unable to enter because of the dangerous, glorious presence of God. God was close, but he was not accessible. And that's the way the book of Exodus ends. It ends with this glorious declaration, but it ends with with a problem. The people of God can't enter. They can't get in. And Leviticus is the answer to that problem. It answers the question, how do we become the kind of people that can enter into the presence of God? And Leviticus, I think, is teasing out this this truth that it's possible to be close to God, but not intimate with God. It's possible to be around God, but not hear the voice of God. It's even possible to be around the people of God, but not really see the face of God. See, I think from a theological standpoint, so many of us would readily affirm the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. Amen? Amen. And the psalmist would would say this, he would echo this. He would say, where shall I go from your spirit or flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in, the de- in Sheol, you're there. And God, you're, you're everywhere. There is no place that I can go that you are absent from. And yet, and yet, there's a difference between God's omnipresence and his manifest presence. Did you know that? There's a difference between the reality that God is everywhere and being able to hear the voice of God, seeing the face of God. There's a difference between being close to God, sort of in proximity to God and being an intimate relationship with God. And the truth of the matter is that we were created for intimacy, not just for proximity. We see this happen in the life of Peter. Peter is in a boat fishing with Jesus. They bring all these fish into the boat. And Peter has this realization that he's not just in the omnipresence of God. He is in the manifest presence of Jesus, the Messiah. And what does he do? He gets down on his hands and knees and he goes, get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He's moved from omnipresence to manifest presence. I love the way that A.W. Tozer in his great book, which I'd encourage as a, as a companion to this series, it's called The Pursuit of God. You could actually just download it on Kindle for free if you want. Not, not right now, but later. Um, A.W. <laughs> Tozer in that book, he, he writes, that type of Christianity, which happens now to be in vogue, knows this presence only in theory. So he's going, that manifest, personal, intimate presence of God He's seen so many Jesus followers. They know about that in their head, but they haven't experienced that in their life. They've read about it, but they haven't actually stepped into it. God's close, but he's not accessible. It fails to stress the Christian's privilege of present realization. He's going, there's more, you guys. There is more. So, So here's the deal. My cards are on the table today. Uh, Over the next few weeks, I I wanna invite you to more. I I wanna invite you to refuse to settle for proximity if intimacy is being extended to you. I wanna invite you to something deeper and something more. I I don't want you to settle for close. Let's push for intimate. Let's push back against a low level of contentment. And let's let's just ask God to inflame our hearts with zeal and passion for him. Let's move from being content with being just scribes where we know the book to being prophets where we see his face and hear his voice because that's the invitation that's being extended in the book of Leviticus. But it requires a journey and it requires some purging. And that's exactly what's laid out for us in the book of Leviticus. So if you have your Bible, would you open for me, with me to Leviticus chapter one as we begin our journey together. So Leviticus, as I said, picks up right where Exodus left off. There's this tabernacle that's been meticulously constructed. The glory of God, the presence of God descends and and people can get close, but they can't enter. Leviticus is gonna be the answer to how do we become people who enter? And it says this, you there? Leviticus 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So, So God's yelling out from the tent, Hey, Moses, hey, Moses, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when one of you brings an offering, everybody say offering, 
to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Now, quick time out. If you're sort of a, a student of history, you know that many ancient Near East religions at the writing of this were practicing animal sacrifice. And so I think it's a valid question to say, what differentiates sacrifice in Leviticus from what was going on in all of these pagan nations around the world at the time? Great question. See, in those other pagan nations, people were trying their best to appease angry, vindictive, and often temperamental gods. And so they would bring the lowercase g gods an offering in hopes of winning him or her over so that then they would give blessing because they had been appeased. And in so many ways, the book of Leviticus flips that system on its head. And instead of trying our best to figure out what God wants from us so that we can rip something from his hands, the book of Leviticus lays out a way for you and I to enter into the presence of God. But it's not us trying to figure out what God wants. It's God saying, here's the way you can enter my presence so that you can stand boldly before me, nation of Israel, so that you can enjoy me as your God. And it flips it all on its head. Now, the very first thing that they're told to do is to bring an offering. And that word offering in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's a word that's translated, but, but the root of the word means a drawing near thing. It's a thing that helps us draw near, specifically to draw near to God. So, so how do we enter the presence of God? This dangerous, glorious presence that inhabits the tabernacle, well, we draw near by, by bringing an offering. See, the picture creates a pathway. And moving from proximity to intimacy requires an offering. It requires a sacrifice. Uh, a few weeks ago, it was Valentine's Day. And like many other men, I found myself in the place of wondering how I could show my undying love and affection for Kelly spending the least amount of money as possible. <laughs> Come on, let's just, this is a safe place. Anybody with me? All right, so here's what I did. I went to Trader Joe's for the win. Yeah, you may, fellas, you may not write down anything else today, but just write down Trader Joe's on your bulletin. Next time a birthday or Valentine's Day comes around, you can send me a thank you email. I went to Trader Joe's and for 99 cents, I don't even know how to get away with these kind of deals. I bought a card. Did it say Valentine's Day on it? No, it had flowers on it. And you know what I wrote inside of it? Happy Valentine's Day. And then you know what I wrote? I wrote a message, not that Hallmark wrote, but that came from my heart to my wife about how much I love her, 99 cents. And then I went and I picked out a bouquet of flowers. It had like four or five roses in it. It had a bunch of lilies that were just about to bloom. They were unbelievable. And I spent just over $6 on said flowers. I got out of Trader Joe's for $8.60. And those flowers were beautiful for like two weeks, weren't they? I mean, I, like you can come talk, that, true story, right? Let's close in prayer, actually. <laughs> feel the presence of God among us. <laughs> and I was thinking about that this week as I was getting ready 
and every single one of these offerings that the Israelites bring before God is costly. And I was just convicted that I often go before God like I went into Trader Joe's. How can I find a deal? How can I, how can I cut some corners? How, how can I give you something, God, that allows me to get what I want from you, but I don't want it to cost me a whole lot? And God, yeah, maybe you're asking me for a little bit more, but, but God, I'm, I'm here to shop for a deal. I'm reminded of King David saying, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. And so here's the deal, you guys. I just wanna, I, I just wanna push in a little bit pastorally today to ask, are there any ways in your life that you're looking for a deal rather than bringing your whole self in surrender? Because the truth of the matter is that experiencing God's intimate presence requires our total surrender. It's not about cutting corners. It's not about finding a deal. It's not about taking a shortcut. It is about bringing our whole self before God. And with that background in mind, let's jump into the first of these five sacrifices. It's the sacrifice, it's called the burnt offering and that word burnt offering is also, it's also referred to as the Ola offering in the Hebrew. And it means that which is brought up. We'll talk about why in just a moment. And as I read through this, I'm going to pause and just sort of put down some, some footsteps for us in order to grasp what this offering is really inviting us to. And we're going to just go on a journey together to ask, how does this picture create for us a pathway? Here's the way the burnt offering description begins. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male, everybody say it with me, without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord without blemish. So here's what God's saying. You don't get to take the animal that's at the back of your herd, that's limping along, that you'd really like to get rid of anyway, and then just bring it and give it as an offering and expect that you get to enter into my presence. He's saying, bring me your best. Bring me your best. Bring me one that is without blemish because in being without blemish, it paints a picture of the way that we have to be if we are to approach God and meet with God face to face. As the psalmist would say in Psalm 15, verses one and two. Oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? God, who gets to enter your presence? Who gets to enjoy your presence? Here's how he answers that. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. Now, if you go and read the rest of Psalm 15, which I'd encourage you to do this week, when the psalmist writes, he who walks blamelessly, what he's really talking about is the way that we interact with each other. Not taking advantage of one another, honoring the image of God in each other, treating each other in righteousness and holiness and goodness. That's the person who's blameless. And he goes, listen, in bringing an animal that's perfect, that is what you were doing. As Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, it's the pure in heart who shall see God. It's the pure in heart who get to enter God's presence and have the kind of relationship with him where they are intimate, not just in proximity. So bring a, a blameless, Leviticus says, animal. Second, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering 
and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So they're unable to ascend into the presence of God on their own. And so the Israelites will ascend through their blameless substitute. Now, in the Hebrew that this was originally written in, this word atonement is a Hebrew word, kafar. Will you say that with me? And it quite literally means to cover, to cover. So what's being covered? Why, why do we need an atonement offering? What's being covered? In one word, sin, sin. That's what's being covered. And so in this offering, you have this picture of an, of an animal and they are laying their hands on the animal's head and they are not praying their sins onto the animal. That's not what's going on here. That did happen in the, um, in the day of atonement. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 16 and then 17. You can read about the day of atonement. But the animal that they prayed their sins onto was not pushed into the presence of God. It was cast into the wilderness to take their sins away. Because that which has sins imputed onto it cannot go into the presence of God. So when they're laying their hands on this animal, they're essentially saying, this animal is me and I am it, okay? It's a, this animal goes on my behalf. And so what's the animal doing? The animal is making payment. This animal's me and I am them. And because I have sinned, the wages of sin is death. And this animal is going to be a substitute, a symbolic substitute for me. It is dying for me. See, the Israelites needed a way to pay their sin debt and to allow them to stay in God's presence. I love this. Whoops. Payment. There it is. I love this because the truth of the matter is this picture painted for us draws out two characteristics of God that we cannot, we cannot minimize either one of them. It shows us that God is just. There is a wage of sin and it is always death, always. And second, God is gracious. He longs to make a way for his people, even though they have sinned against him, to be in covenantal loving relationship with him. So he made a way for them to draw near. He gave them drawing near things. Bring this offering as a payment for you. Verse five, then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons and priests shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Who's a little bit queasy, Hey, <laughs> okay? I mean, let's just bring an animal in and let's demonstrate this. I feel like we need a picture in order to really grasp this. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So what's going on? You have this blameless animal who's killed. His blood is splattered. And not only is he making payment, this goat, this lamb, this bull is me, but he's also making a space that's pure. Now, this is hard for us to grasp because we think that blood is dirty. Can I get an amen? Um, yesterday I was at um, Love Esco and we were um, helping to clean up uh, Kit Carson Park of some overgrowth. And um, by the way, I just love what's going on with Love Esco and God is moving and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Praise God. 
I was pulling out um, a palm branch and I got a thorn stuck like in the back of my forearm. And um, I just, it was a right, wrong angle to get it out myself. And so I went over to Tim Mitchell, who's on our staff here. And I said, hey, Tim, can you, can you help me get this thorn out of my arm? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he's like working it out like you would uh, like a splinter. And he gets it to the point where he can pull it out. And, and he's like, you want me to pull that out? And I'm like, yeah, pull that bad boy out. So he pulls it out. And what follows is a squirt of blood that I can only describe as somebody holding a hose and spraying it. And both of us looked at each other like, that hit an artery, like not good, right? And here's what, nobody around there looked at it and went, well, now this place is clean. (laughs) No one, no one. And yet for the Israelites, blood meant something different. For them, according to Leviticus chapter 17, life is in the blood. And if you bring something that's blameless and perfect, you bring blameless and perfect blood. And when you splatter it around the altar, it creates blameless and perfect space for the Israelite people to enter into to have relationship with God. Essentially, the priests were like, Mr. Clean. Like they're, they're, like, they're making the place clean. It was like a spiritual bleach that they were putting on the altar so that the people of God could have relationship with God in clean and perfect space. Verse six, then he shall fillet the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head, the feet on the wood. So it is on the fire on the altar, but it's on trails and its legs. He shall wash in water and the priest shall burn. How much? all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now I emphasize shall burn all of it because this is the only one of the five sacrifices where the whole offering is consumed. It's the only one where all of it's burnt. And some of the other offerings, you have the priests eating some of it. You have the people taking it back so that it's given amongst the people so that they can enjoy some of it. But this is the only one of the offerings where everything about this animal is consumed other than its skin. And it's a picture that's created for us. The picture creates a pathway. The picture is an animal who is wholly consumed by holy fire and in its consumption, it is transformed from one state into another. And in its transformation, it rises up. Remember, this is the bringing up offering. It rises up before the heavens. It encounters God as it were. Now this picture of a burnt offering is given, I would suggest first, because it gives sort of the wide brushstrokes of what's gonna go on in the next few chapters. As L. Michael Morales wrote, he said, Leviticus begins with the ascension offering because it may have represented the core and perhaps even the summation of the entire sacrificial system. So this act that we have just read about, the Israelite community brought a burnt offering before God every single morning and every single evening of every single day. Can you imagine what that would do to your heart every day? This animal is going on my behalf. 
His blood creates perfect space for me to enter the presence of God. He's given himself for me. Now, as new covenant followers of Jesus, praise be to God, we get to look at the burnt offering and go, that's exactly what Jesus did on our behalf. Amen? Amen. He is our burnt offering. And he doesn't just cover our sin. Behold, he's the lamb of God who takes away our sins. According to Romans chapter five, verse eight, that Christ, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He is our substitute. The truth of the matter is friends, that he has cleansed us. His blood, according to 1 John 1, 7, has purified us of all all unrighteousness. And he was completely consumed. He gave his whole life on our behalf. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And in so doing, he has moved us from death into life. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So here's my question. Here's my question. What do we do with that? Do we look at Jesus as our burnt offering and is the, is the punchline and the takeaway, like you should believe that, go in peace. I think partially, but I think far too often it ends with that. Because the, the truth of the matter is friends, that we, we believe Jesus, but we also follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe we can say it like this. We believe in Jesus but we should also believe Jesus. And maybe just maybe this creates a picture for us of what Jesus would do for us. And then also what he would invite us to walk into as we walk with him. After all, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That sounds a whole lot like becoming an offering. He went on to say, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That that sounds a whole lot like being wholly consumed. And so while the scriptures really clearly teach that Jesus is our representative and he's our atonement, yes and amen to that, he is also our example. He's also our example. And so I would suggest to you that we are invited to walk the exact same journey that this burnt offering took. In order to draw near, we must offer our whole selves. Remember, remember, experiencing God's intimate presence requires our total Surrender the, the death of this animal and it's purging through fire and it's ascending in smoke is a picture of what I need to go through if I'm going to encounter the presence of God also. At least in the way that Jesus designed us to encounter it. And as I've just been praying through this and even just this morning wrestling with, okay, God, what do you want me to impart? What? what is it that you want to do in our church body through this burnt offering? And I just sense the spirit of God saying, this is about the last 5%. And I think that there's a lot of us where we've given God our life in very general terms. But I just wonder if there are pieces that we're holding on to 
that we're saying back to God, God, um, I'll give you that part, but I'm gonna keep this back for me. And that there's some invitations that Jesus has been putting in front of us maybe for a really long time. And maybe it's to confess sin that we're just holding on to. And maybe it's to lay down control that we've really grown accustomed to and really love. And maybe, maybe just maybe it's that we're saying back to God, God, I've obeyed in so many other areas. So I get to keep this secret sin just for myself. And I think what Jesus wants to say to us today is if you want to experience my intimate presence, it's gonna require your total surrender This is about the last 5%. And so even in your own heart, would you just right now ask ask Jesus, ask the spirit, what's the last 5% for me? What's the, is there a piece of me that I'm, that I'm holding back. And what I wanna do is just walk through a passage in Romans chapter 12 in the closing of our time to try to give some context and paint a picture of what this might look like. The apostle Paul is writing to the church in, in, in Rome, <laughs> hence the name Romans. And this is on the other side of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And what he does not say to the church in Rome is, hey, just believe it, you guys. Just believe it. That's the end. That's not what he says. Listen to what he says. And he's gonna lay down a threefold path for us to walk as we say back to Jesus, Jesus, I I want my life to be a burnt offering to you. I'm not bringing an offering, I'm becoming an offering. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the what? Mercies of God. If you have an NIV translation in front of you, it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, as if to say, view his mercy often. View his mercy often. He is our atonement. He is our substitute. And when we walk in his way, with his heart, when we walk in his path that he's charted, it is not to atone for our sin. It's not to make ourselves right before God. It's not to accomplish anything so that God would love us more. It is simply we're viewing God's mercy towards us and in so doing, surrendering our whole lives to him. So Paul would say, what does this look like? How do we live as burnt offering? Well, well, we remember his sacrifice. Friends, this is where guilt and shame die. This is where guilt and shame die. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God, by his mercy, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, amen? amen. So we preach ourselves the gospel. This is not about what we have to do for God. It is what we do in light of what God has accomplished for us. I appeal to you, brothers, he says, in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Where did they make this sacrifice? on the altar. And Paul's saying, if you wanna follow in the way of Jesus, what's it gonna require? It's gonna require an altered life, a life that's lived on the altar. We we don't get to pull off sort of a 10% on our own. It is so important that this is the offering where the whole entire animal is offered to be burned before God. It's a picture. 
of what he's calling us to surrender to him as well. And the challenge, the invitation is to relinquish our life with nothing held back to say, God, holy, completely, totally consume me. I wanna know your presence. I wanna know your voice. I wanna see your face. So, so you got all of me. You've got all of me. When I first became serious about following Jesus, it was, um, I had just graduated high school. It was the late 90s. And um, there was a really popular band at that point um, called Cademan's Call. And on their very first self-titled album, they had this song called Coming Home. And um, it went something like this. It said, so you want a living sacrifice? Well, I am a burnt offering, but I'm crawling off the altar and back into the fire. And with my smoke-filled lungs, I cry out for freedom while I'm locking and chaining myself to my rotting desires. And I just, that, that song was brought back as I was studying this text and I'm just going like, that's, that's me. Like, I don't know if it's you also, but, but I, 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 so many times I say back to God, God, I wanna be a living sacrifice. And then I'm like, but I don't want the fire. Because fire hurts, but it also refines. And so my question for you is, I just wonder if there's anything that you're holding on to that God says, listen, that's like the 5%, it's off the altar. Would you bring it on? Yeah, you're trying to hold on and you're trying to control. Would you bring that onto the altar? Let me refine it. Yeah, yeah, you're dabbling in this sexual sin. Would you bring that onto the altar? Would you allow me to refine it? Yeah, you're treating these people like garbage. You're not following my way, my heart. Would you bring that back onto the altar? Yeah, you're, I know you're trying to defend your turf, but would you bring that onto the altar? Let's be people who continually crawl back to the altar and say, God, you have my whole life. No shortcuts, only surrender. And then finally, Paul says, do not be conformed, there's Caden's call, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So catch this, you guys. This is not, embrace mindfulness. This is not, rewire the neural pathways in your brain for better um, chances of success. Now, Mindfulness is fine. Uh, neural pathways in your brain are real. They're important. But this is surrender your life. And then, and then you will be able to transform your mind. Surrender your life. Make some decisions about what you think about the scriptures, about the word of God. Do you sit above them or do you sit underneath them? And then say, God, where my thinking is off, where it's outside of alignment with reality, I, I want it to be in line with what you have taught. So I wanna realign my thinking. So my question is, what, what do you think Jesus might be inviting you to rethink? Is there guilt or shame that you're carrying that he died for? Is there a secret sin that's preventing you from entering into his presence? And he's saying, lay it down, bring it into the light, bring it into grace. Is there something that you might need to repent of? When you disagree with Jesus, who do you side with? And if you go, hey, I, I don't disagree with Jesus. May I suggest to you that you've created a God in your own image? <laughs> to rethink, to realign our thinking 
in light of being transformed with lives on the altar. So Paul ends this section and he says that by testing, you may be able to discern what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I love this, that Paul encourages the church at Rome. He says, remember mercy, relinquish your life, realign your thinking, live as a burnt offering. And then he goes, and then you'll be able to test that God is good on his word. When you surrender your life, you actually get to encounter his love. When you surrender, you get to go, oh, this is good. This is pleasing. This is perfect. Does it hurt and does it sting? Yes and amen, it does. But in losing our lives, we actually find what it means to really, truly live. And so there I was. I was walking through the aisles of Trader Joe's, trying my best to find a deal, $8.60, baby. And I wonder if you walk in these same doors looking for that same deal. I've got good news and bad news for you. Here's the bad news. No deals, no shortcuts, no value propositions. Here's the good news, whole surrender, the presence of God, life abundant, life full, grace that covers all of our sin. So what if we decided today, God, we wanna be the kind of people who live altered lives, not with shortcuts, but with surrender, to surrender our guilt, to surrender our control, to surrender our shame as best we can today to surrender it to you. See, I'm convinced that today is about naming the fact that we have a tendency to climb off of the altar and is deciding once again to bring our whole selves into the refining fire of his love and see what it means to really truly live. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.